So how about that worship team, huh? I'm kind of privy to the keyboard player myself. see here I got one quarter one quarter three dimes and 27 pennies got any math majors out here this morning how much yeah somebody said 77 you're not going to be the treasurer here (laughs) 82 (laughs) Um, how, how much do you love your senior pastor, Pastor Mitch? Isn't he awesome? So awesome. Um, we've been really, we've been trying to spend a lot of time together, get to know each other. Uh, we're a lot alike, if you guys haven't noticed that. And um, we've been having a great time. We had some fun this past week. Um, he took me horseback riding, which was fun. And um, it was kind of scary. He got bucked off of his horse. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he got bucked off his horse and the horse was kind of jumping all around him. And, and, um, but luckily, just in the nick of time, the manager from Walmart came over and unplugged it. <laughs> I'm from Ohio, and he called me a worthless nut, a couple of, a Buckeye worthless nut. So I had to get him back. But listen, um, he, he came to me a couple weeks ago. He was like, hey, I'd like for you to preach um, in a couple of weeks. I was like, what's the topic? He was like, anxiety. And I was like, seriously? Because um, I can say in full transparency, like, it has been a lifelong battle for me in that area. That is, that is an area of my life where I, I have to work diligently on a daily basis to battle and fight anxiety. And the difficulty of it is that anxiety can rob us of life. It can rob us of some really, really good things that the Lord has for, for us. It can cause us to live in a lot of fear. And if you're one of those people, uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you ever struggled with anxiety? Okay, about half of you are honest, and um, <laughs> it's one of those things, we, we all struggle with anxiety, and we all struggle with worry. I mean, this morning, I came in, and I had three separate people come up to me, and they were like, hi, Pastor Jason, you look like a tablecloth. <laughs> that caused me anxiety. <laughs> I was like, do I look like a tablecloth? <laughs> I mean, I asked my wife, I was like, do I look good this morning? She was like, yeah, you look great. And then somebody else, a tablecloth. Um, but I really wanted to kind of figure out, you know, as I began to study, I was thinking to myself, like, do I really know what anxiety means? Like, from a biblical perspective, do I understand what it means? Like, the definition of the word anxiety. So I went back to the original language, and I kind of did a word study on the word anxiety because I really wanted to know, wh- what is it? from a biblical perspective. So the word anxiety in the Greek is merimnamo. Say merimnamo. Merimnamo. And it means, it's an old verb, it means to worry or have anxiety, or, but it literally means, um, kind of in a Hebrew mind, it literally means divided or distracted. So it's this kind of this idea of a divided heart. At its core, exa- uh, anxiety is trusting yourself 
and refusing to put your trust in the Lord. So you're kind of being governed by the circumstances and the difficult things around you, and they are your Lord, and God is over here and saying, I've, I've got this, I'm in charge, let me take it over, and you're saying, no, I'm gonna take over, and in the midst of that, you have anxiety. Um, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25 and 27, Jesus talks about this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, Paul takes it a little bit farther in Philippians chapter 4, and that's going to be a kind of a key verse that we'll go back to a lot, but specifically in Ephesians chapter 4. So these two passages are very key in the way that I deal with anxiety, I think from a biblical perspective, and what we hope that you'll be able to deal with this morning too. Because those times are going to come in your life, and you're going to have a, a fight or flight response to it. And I'm going to challenge you to fight for the peace that is offered from God in the midst of anxiety. So Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now in verse 9, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, in other words, what I just wrote, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he's giving us these things, but he knows our nature and he understands that we're rebellious by nature. And he says, listen, the things that I've said to you, I don't want you to just placate me and act like you heard what I just said to you. I want you to take what I've said to you and I want you to put it into practice. Paul takes it a step farther in Ephesians chapter four. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off your old self. Then in verse 24, put on the new self. Put off falsehood and put on speaking truthfully. Steal no longer. Instead, do something useful. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Instead, build others up with your speech is what this passage is speaking about. So how many of you were here the last time I talked, spoke, preached, whatever you want to call it? Okay, so for those of you who weren't here, I gave kind of my testimony about what I went through six years ago. Um, a couple of months ago, I celebrated my six-year anniversary of being sober. It was incredible. God just did an incredible thing. But when you go through something like that and you go through a difficulty like that, when you come home, they tell you right away, listen, you're going you're gonna to have these giant holes in your life where those addictions used to be, and you're going to have to put something in its place. You can't just put something off. You've got to put something on. And so my wife, you know, we got together and we're like, hey, you know, I have to be at work at 6, so we're going to get up at 445, and we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to pray together until 530. Doesn't that sound fun? She didn't have to be up that early. She got up with me. And we rarely miss. That time is so important to me in my battle against anxiety. When I don't have it, I feel it. 
Then I decided I'm going to take the hardest job I can possibly take. I had never worked a blue-collar job really in my life. And I went and I was the janitor at a trucking company. I lost 65 pounds in about five months. And then I moved to Venice, Florida and found it again. <laughs> Y'all have to stop taking me out for dinner. Uh, do you agree? Hey, let's go. No, sort of agree. <laughs> I mean, I love it. But if I eat another slice of pizza, I'm going to turn into a piece of pizza. Like, I just, I'm eating so much. I'm loving it, but my waistline is not loving it. Um, so... We're going to talk about basically what are the biblical kind of things that cause anxiety and what we need to put off in order to put on in order to get rid of this thing in our life. It's never going to be totally gone. We're human. We're going to deal with it, but I'm going to give you the tools to fight with it. Does that sound good? All right. So number one, put off anxiety caused by circumstances and put on prayer. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. My daughter is over here uh, this morning, and she was premature. She was born a couple weeks, a month, a month premature. Holly was on bed rest with her for three months, um, and she just wanted to come early. She just wanted to be here early. And after... A week of her being with us, um, we noticed that she wasn't breathing very well. She was turning blue, so we took her to the hospital. We found out that she had severe RSV, and we almost lost her. Uh, the doctor had to keep shaking her to keep her breathing and awake so that the helicopter could come and pick her up at this tiny little hospital that we were in, and then she flew away in a helicopter that was too small for us to be in. And we had to drive three hours to Indianapolis. I thought that I had prayed in my life before that moment. I genuinely did. But there was a guttural prayer that came out of me where I didn't care what people thought of me. I didn't care about the words coming out of my mouth. My spirit fell before the Lord in the midst of those circumstances. And maybe that's what those circumstances are for. Amen. You and I find ourselves in a place where everything is good and everything is golden and everything's going wonderful and our heart begins to drift more and more and more away from the prayer room and away from God. And maybe those hard things are there, not all the time, but maybe they're there from time to time to bring us back into true, devoted prayer. My grandmother was saved in the 1930s, uh, one of the most holy people I've ever met, an absolute cut-up, hilarious person. Um, and she would, uh, she would have me and my cousin Mike, I called him Mikey when I was a kid, over to their house, and they lived in kind of like the worst neighborhood in, in the area that I lived in. And we would wake up in the morning, my mom and dad are gone, and my grandma would say, all right, come and eat your breakfast, and she'd make us a big biscuits and gravy breakfast. And then she'd say, get out of here. And we were like, well, where do you want us to go? Anywhere but inside the house. And when do you want us to come back? Dinner time. And so we would hop on our bikes, and away we would go. I mean, all over the city. Just climbing trees, going up and down hills on our bikes, climbing up on the roofs of abandoned buildings. I mean, absolutely crazy. And then I'd come home. And I'd walk in, and I'd ask Grandma, did you worry about me? And she'd say, nope. 
And I'd say, you should have. <laughs> I'm thinking about all the delinquent things that I just did. She just had this posture about her. It's in the Lord's hands. For those of you who grew up in the 70s and 80s, you remember that. There used to be an actual thing that would come on the television. Do you know where your kids are? Do you remember that? I have no idea. They're somewhere. <laughs> to, desire, to desire revival and at the same time neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and to walk another. Or to desire victory over anxiety and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and to walk the other. That's A.W. Tozer. This was convicting for me because so often I just try and find my own strength and my own reason and my own um, solution to the problem that I'm feeling with anxiety. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. That's the promise of prayer, that this, this, this God is gonna guard your heart against those things when we go to him in prayer and devotion. Now the word guard is fruea, say fruea, and that, that's a great word, right? Because that means guard is like a, it's used four times in the New Testament, and it means like a garrison, like guarding the gate of a city. It's a military word, and it's a word that kind of displays like an army of people fending off this horde that's coming at you. And that's what's being talked about in this passage. When you pray, you are calling on the armies of God to protect your heart against these difficult things. That is what happens when we pray. Number two, put off anxiety caused by perceived lack and put on thanksgiving. Last week, Pastor Mitch talked about gratitude. He talked about the importance of gratitude and us having it be a discipline in our life because, man, it's so easy to get distracted about all the difficulties that fly into our life and all the things that take our attention and we're blinded to the reality of all of the good things that are around us that are amazing, but we're focused on that one bad thing that's causing us difficulty. It's like this perceived lack. If I had a nickel for every time I heard from somebody, man, if I just had this... If I can just get into this size house, everything's going to be okay. If I, can just get, if I can get into that neighborhood, if I can just drive like that car, if I can just be accepted into that group of people, if I can just get past this health episode, I'll be grateful. I'll be thankful. I'm promising you it just doesn't work that way. Because once you get past that, something else is going to happen. Life is like the game of whack-a-mole. I remember um, thinking this when I, uh, we, we have always, uh, up until very recently, <laughs> driven cars that have no earthly reason to be on a freeway or a, I mean, <laughs> like, like just junkers. And um, I remember when we became church planters, we had parachuted into this little city in West Michigan and we were in a very bad neighborhood. We weren't making any money. And I needed a car. And some guy came up to me. He was like, hey, I have a 1991 Honda Accord that you can have. You can have it. It's just sitting at my house. And I'm thinking, this guy's pretty wealthy. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a great car, you know? And I was like, well, tell me about it. He was like, well, it hasn't started in two years. Um, 
and it's in my backyard, and so Holly and I showed up with jumper cables, and it's sitting underneath a pine tree covered in pine needles, and I was like, well, it, it looks pretty good. I mean, how, how many miles does it have on it? He goes, it's got 350,000 miles on it. It's a true story. Con- yes, okay, so 350,000 miles, and I'm like, okay, well, let's give it a shot. So we jump it, starts right up, take off out of those pine needles. I drove that car for five years, never replaced a thing on it. Um, at the end, it had a 428,000 miles on this car. I actually wrote Honda asking them for a free car because I guess if you get, I don't know. It didn't work out. And I remember going to the junkyard. I've only got first gear. Like all the other gears are gone. The transmission's gone. And it's just the sound it was making. The smoke was coming out of the hoods. And I pull in and I drop it off and I hand him the title. And he was like, all right, thank you. You need to sign here. So I sign there and I look up at this guy. He's covered in grease, you know, works at a scrapyard. And I just start crying. And he was like, are you okay? I was like, Man, this car, this car's been amazing, man. I just feel great. I don't want to lose this car, you know. And he was like, well, it's time to put her down, buddy, you know. And so, um, and so I, I had this moment of intense gratitude for the junkiest car on the road because you can do that, you know. You can be grateful for the things you have in your life. Number three, put off anxiety caused by insecurity and put on your identity in Christ. Put off anxiety caused by insecurity and put on your identity in Christ. Ephesians chapter two says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, workmanship is an amazing word. Um, um, you might have handiwork in your, in your Bible. Um, and so, we, for we are his workmanship, the word workmanship in the original language is the word poema, So what English word do you think we get from that word? Poem. For we are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Oh, come on. Like if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, (laughs) right? You are the poem of God. You are penned by God. You are a poem written by God, wholly unique, perfectly made image bearer of God, exactly the way that you are. The problem is we begin to think, man, he must have messed up because I've got all of these issues. I don't look as good as I want to look. I don't feel as good as I want to look. I don't have the talent that other people have around me. I don't have the gifts that other people have. I don't have the money other people have. I don't have the stature, the power, all the things. He must have made a mistake, and I'm telling you that he didn't. And here's the good word. Here's the good word. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I'm asking you this morning to not be strong. I'm asking you to be weak. Because when we are weak, then we are strong. Why? Because when we are weak, we go to the source of strength, and then he gets the glory. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, it goes a, a step farther. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I know Man, we're, we're at a place where, like, we are in desperate need, like, leadership-wise, people to step forward, and you're probably thinking to yourself, man, I just don't have what it takes. I don't have anything to offer. I haven't been saved that long. I'm not a Christian. I don't really know the Bible that well. You're kind of going through all of those things in your mind for reasons why you shouldn't be able to do it. I'm here to tell you you're enough because your identity is in Christ, Right? So like, so like sometimes you just need to jump in the water. Like you just need to jump in, right? Jump in the water. That's how my dad taught me how to swim. He just picked me up and he threw me in the river, you know? Once I clawed my way out of the burlap sack, I was fine, you know? <laughs> my dad hates that joke. <laughs> hates it. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Put off anxiety caused by selfishness, number four and put on sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verses one through three. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to put off selfishness and we're going to put on sacrifice. It's this idea in this passage that we're living sacrifices. We're not, we're not talking about the Old Testament when we had to sacrifice an animal to appease God or the spilling of blood. We're talking about being a living, breathing sacrifice in the world, giving people the understanding of the, the God who changed me can change you. The God who lives in me can live in you. The God who forgave me can forgive you. And so often we live in this place where, man, like sacrifice is such a rare occurrence in our world. So when we moved to downtown Grand Rapids, every Sunday night, we had church on Sunday nights, and every Sunday night, a guy would show up, a homeless man, and he would ask me for money. He was, um, I found out, he was a, um, a meth addict and a heroin addict. And so I began to talk to him, and we began to develop a relationship. And every night after church, he would meet me, and he would say, hey, I've got good news, man. I, I only need five more dollars to go to college, and I just need five more dollars. And I'd be like, ah, Harold, I don't know that that's true, um, but I'll tell you what, I'll take you out for dinner. Let's go out, we'll get some McDonald's, we'll hang out, you know, and I'll, I'll bring you back to the shelter. And he, he'd say, okay. And so every week, man, it became a new, a new excuse. Hey, I've almost got my driver's license and I need five more dollars for a truck. It was always $5. Um, and I found out that $5 is what he needed for a hit. And so he kept coming and he kept coming. And, and finally, I began to talk to him about his life and, and he, he accepted Christ on the back steps of that church um, and he died of a drug overdose shortly after. Um, it, was a, it was a really, really difficult thing. I'm sure he is with Jesus. Sure of it. 
when I began to pack up my things and we were moving to Washington, D.C., Harold came to our last service. He met me out back. He was in tears. I had given him $5 before the service started. He met me in the back. I'm locking up the door, and he was like, Pastor Jason, I'm really going to miss you. I don't want you to go. And I was like, well, you know, this is what I feel like the Lord's calling me to do. And he was like, well, I, 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 I took your $5, and I went, and I got you this. And he had gone across the street to the supermarket, and he had bought me a card. And I opened the card, and I read it, and it, it said, congratulations, you did it, Harold. And in the bottom of the envelope was three dimes, a quarter, and 27 pennies. That sacrifice, it made me understand that this guy reached into his pocket, he sacrificed his need for a hit, and he reached deep into his pocket and he gave me everything he had. I've kept it all these years, along with the card. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. We have to be, I think, people who understand that there has to be an offensive strategy when it comes to anxiety. That God has given us the tools to put on the armor to put on to fight against it. So this week, we're going to put on prayer we're going to put on thanksgiving. We're going to put on our identity in Christ, our poema. We're going to put on sacrifice. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and to be with you. All of us deal with anxiety. All of us are going to continue to deal with anxiety. But Father, help us to realize now that we have the weapons at our disposal fight it in you I pray that you would help us to recognize that you are a God who has drawn so close to us Psalm 94 19 unless the Lord had given me help I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death when I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. In Jesus' name, amen.